begin reading in verse number 24. The Bible says, So he, speaking of Joseph, sent his brethren away, and they departed. And he said unto them, See that you fall not out by the way. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph my son is yet alive, and I will go and see him before I die. I would like to use verse number 28 for a text this morning, and we'll draw all of our thoughts from that verse. But I want to give you a little introduction leading up to that verse for the thought this morning. We understand the verses we have read is dealing with a man by the name of Joseph. We understand Joseph is an Old Testament, beautiful Old Testament picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Joseph was the beloved son of his father, according to Genesis chapter 37. That You know the story from Sunday school, no doubt, that because his father Jacob loved him so much, he gave him that coat of many colors we're often familiar with. But Joseph had had ten other brothers that were very envious and very jealous of him, and they had some hatred towards him. You know the story they, that Joseph had those dreams and uh, he told them to his brethren. They did not like the dreams. They did not like the message behind them. And so after a series of events, uh, just like a good family reunion, they devised a plan to throw them in a pit. <laughs> How many got some family members you like to find a pit and throw them in? Somebody said, I don't know anybody like that in my family. You might be the one heading to the pit then, all right? Uh, but they throw them in that pit. And then they get the bright idea, well, let's not just throw him in a pit, let's try to make some money off of him. And so they sell him into Egyptian slavery. You understand? And we won't take all the time to, there's so much preaching and, and we, we don't want to waste our time there, but we know that Joseph went down to Egypt and he became a servant in Potiphar's house and how God blessed Joseph and God used him in a great way, but Potiphar's wife, she lied on him and he was put into prison. But then Pharaoh begins to dream some dreams. And none of Pharaoh's magicians and soothsayers could interpret the dream. And so somehow they find out between the, between the baker, they remember this man Joseph down in the prison. Joseph comes before Pharaoh and interprets the dreams. The interpretation of the dream that, jo- that Pharaoh had was that there would be seven years of plenty, but then there would be seven years of famine. And Joseph said, I he recommended that they stockpile for those seven years to prepare for the seven years of famine. Through a series of events, Joseph was put second in command in the land of Egypt. Joseph was made the governor, the Bible said, over all of the land of Egypt. But the story does not end there. That famine, that seven-year famine, reached not only in Egypt, but it reached all the way back down there in Canaan where Jacob and his 11 sons were still living. And so they get hungry and they need food. So Jacob sends his 10 sons 
to Egypt. And they stand before Joseph, but they do not know that it is Joseph. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. They don't know that it's Joseph. And Joseph plays a little cat and mouse game with them, but in Genesis 45, he reveals himself to his brethren. He tells them, I am Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. And he begins to instruct them to go and get their father and for all their family to come and move to the land of Egypt and that he would give them property in the land of Goshen that they might be near him. That is what is going on in the text. They are going to pick up Jacob to bring him back to Egypt. But you got to look at it from Jacob's perspective. For some 22 years, he has believed that Joseph, his son, is dead. For when the brethren came back, they brought the coat of many colors. They killed a kid of the goats and put that blood on that coat. And they presented it to their father, Jacob. And Jacob made an assumption that Joseph had been killed by some wild beast. And so Jacob begins to believe for the next 22 years, he lived on the assumption that Joseph was dead. He lived for 22 years like Joseph was dead. For these years, Jacob has been living in doubt. He has been living in discouragement. He has been living in depression. He has been living in despair. He has been living with the idea of death, losing his son, losing his beloved son. That is where Jacob has been living. In fact, it has affected his relationship with God. In Genesis 35, we find Jacob going back to Bethel, and he's making, he builds an altar there. But Jacob got bitter on God because after he builds that altar, it's interesting to know that the next verse teaches us that Rachel died. You remember Rachel? Rachel was the woman that he worked 14 years for. And he, he loved her and he, he, he desired her and now she dies. And then at the end of the chapter, not only does his sweetheart dies, but his father Isaac dies. And you won't find Jacob praying at all. You won't find him making any altars from Genesis 35 to Genesis 46. And I'm going to tell you, when you're away from the Lord, when you've got bitterness in your heart to the Lord, or when something in life has disappointed you and you've tried to blame it on God, it will affect your prayer life. It will affect your relationship with the Lord. It wasn't God's fault that Rachel died. It wasn't God's fault that Isaac died. Uh, this, is, this sounds terrible, uh, but people live and they die. It's life. It was just part of what Jacob was having to go through. And don't get mad at God when life happens. That's where Jacob is living. And now not only has he buried his wife and he's buried his dad, but he has seemingly and theoretically buried his beloved son, Joseph. He's, so he's living with death. But here come these boys back from Egypt. Here they come with all these wagons and all these provisions. I mean, it's not just one wagon. Ten wagons, all these provisions. Things just falling off the top of them like a Walmart buggy. I mean, things just all over the place. I mean, all these provisions. They're living in a famine. Uh, they're, they're rationing out food. But all of a sudden, here comes all these wagons. And can you see Jacob being a typical daddy? What in the world have y'all got into? Where in the world y'all get all this? And the boys get off them wagons saying, Daddy, Joseph is alive. Joseph is alive. And Jacob did not believe them. He said, there's no way. There's no way. But watch our Bible in verse 27. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons, which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. And 
I will go see him before I die. You know what? For 22 years, Jacob has been living like Joseph was dead. Jacob has been living with the fact that there's no way the son could be alive. But one day there came good news from a far country that he is not dead, but he is alive. And I'm going to tell you this morning, for years the world has believed that Jesus Christ is dead. In fact, they live their life like he's dead. They don't have any respect for his word. They don't have any respect for his house. They don't have any respect for his gospel. But I want to remind you this morning, Jesus Christ is not dead, but he is alive. He did die on the cross for our sins. But thank God on resurrection morning, he arose again from the grave and he ever lives to make intercession for us. I want to look at what Jacob said in verse 28. Watch what he says. It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. For a few moments this morning, I want to preach on, He's alive, and that's enough. He's alive, and that's enough. Jacob's got a lot of questions. How in the world is he still alive? Where in the world? How did he get to Egypt? I mean, there's some explaining got to be done. How in the world did my boy get to Egypt? How is he in charge? How does he have all this? But Jacob's not worried about questions in this verse. He's not trying to figure everything out. He just simply heard the message. He simply heard the Word, and he believed it. And he said, He's alive, and that's all I need to know. I'm telling you this morning, if you're waiting to figure out everything about this Bible before you believe it, it's going to be a long time. I've been preaching almost 21 years studying this Bible avidly, and there are still things that I do not understand. But God never asked you to understand the Bible. He just asked you to believe the Bible. Amen. And I'm telling you, if you're going to wait on that, you're going to waste your time. But if you'll take it by faith, and if you'll believe that Jesus died, and that He rose again on the third day, you can have the same sentiment that Jacob had when he said he's alive and that's enough. There are three things in verse 28 I want to emphasize and we're going to the house. First of all, there is a persuasion that is settled. Look at the verse. It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. That word enough means much. It means many. It means greater. It means it satisfies the desire. It means that you can't add any more to it. Like we will be here at dinner time in a little bit when we eat and we eat that dessert. You want any more? No, I've had enough. I can't take any more. Jacob is saying, I can't take any more evidence. That's all I need to know. He is alive. Well, what proved it to him? Well, first of all, it proved to him by what was said. Verse number 26, and they told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart feigned for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph. I hope you pick it up when I'm laying down, but Joseph is a picture of Christ. You know what they did? They come back and said, I'm going to tell you how we know he's alive. Look at what he said. Here's the words that he said. Joseph said all these things. Amen. May I remind you, here's how we know Jesus is alive, by what he said said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and have the keys of death and hell. He is not here, for he is risen, amen. He is alive. 
I was studying this week, and it's inter- we've been studying in Sunday school a little bit the last few months about the importance of the Word of God and how we should not change words in the Bible. And did you know there are some versions out there that will take Matthew 28, 6 to say, He is not here for He has risen. They'll substitute the word is for has. But has is a past tense word, meaning that He could have risen, but He's not alive right now. But that angel was very particular when he said, He is not here for He is presently. He is alive. Aren't you glad this morning we do not serve a dead Savior in a cemetery somewhere, but He is alive and well this morning. Here comes in wagons from Egypt. Jacob thinks Joseph is dead. He's been living his life like this for 22 years, but all of a sudden he heard the words. He heard the good news from a far country, and what was said convinced him. What did they say about Joseph? Well, they said he's alive. Joseph is yet alive. The last time they saw him, he was bound and being hauled off to Egypt. There ain't no way he could have survived that. And the last time this world saw our Savior, he was beaten, bruised, and battered and hung on a cross. And Joseph and Nicodemus took that body off the cross and laid it in a tomb this morning. Hey, you can spend the $5,000 if you want to. That's fine. But I don't have to go to Jerusalem to see the grave is empty. For I know that he is alive but then he is in authority they said he's governor over all the land of egypt and he's able he said in verse number 13 he shall tell my father all my glory in egypt of all that you have seen and ye shall haste and bring my father hither you know what joseph was telling them boys you know i'm alive you know i have all these things now go tell your family. Go tell your friends. You know, we have a job and a commission. Since we know He's alive, we ought to tell everyone that we can. Notice what was said. But then, not only what was said, notice what was seen. Verse 27, And when He saw the wagons, these wagons speak of the provisions that Joseph was able to provide. What did he give them? Well, he gave them raiment in Genesis 45:22. He gave each man a change of raiment. Here's what he said. Since I'm alive, I want you to wear my garments. I want you to wear the royal garments. You don't have to look like the beggars that you were. Oh, but you're going to look different now. And aren't you glad when we got saved, he imputed his righteousness to us. He gave them resources. The Bible said in verse 23, And to his father he sent after this matter ten asses laden with the good things of Egypt, ten she-asses laden with corn and bread and meat for his father by the way. Here's, here's old Jacob. He's living in a famine. His health is not good, but all of a sudden he sees all these provisions and these wagons coming his direction. Hey, man, who else would know that Jacob needed such things other than Joseph? Sometimes in life we get discouraged. Sometimes in life we get defeated. But then we see the wagons of the grace of God pull up in our front yard. Here's what the psalmist said. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What was was said, what was seen, but then what was sent. Verse 27, he saw them wagons, watch this now, which Joseph had sent to carry him. Now I love this. There's great typology in this and the fact that Joseph did not expect Jacob to get from where he was at to where Joseph was at by himself. 
But he sent him transportation. He said, you don't have to try to make it on your own, but I have provided the transportation. May I remind you that God does not expect you to work your way to heaven, to buy your way to heaven, to earn your way to heaven. But he sent transportation. For by grace are you saved through faith. And not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works as any man should boast. If you could work your way to heaven, then why did Jesus die on the cross? If being good could get you to heaven, why did He suffer all that? It don't make sense when we think about it. But think about this. How else How else would Joseph know that Jacob couldn't make it? You realize Jacob's got a bad leg. Remember, he wrestled with God that night. And that angel touched the hollow of Jacob's side. And the Bible said that Jacob halted on his thigh till the day he died. Old Joseph knew that Jacob couldn't make it walking. So he sent him what he needed to get him. May I remind you, who else would know that but Joseph? When Jacob saw those wagons were for his transportation, who else would know that but Joseph? Hey, who else knows what you need other than God? How many times has God met a need, answered a prayer, lifted a burden for you, and nobody else knew it? You didn't put it on Facebook. You didn't tell anybody. But God just answered that prayer. God just met that need. What is that? It's the Lord Proving that He is alive. What was said, what was seen, what was sent. But notice what was stirred. Verse 27. The spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. That is the first mention in your Bible, the word revived. Thus using the principle of first mentioning what real revival is, just realizing that He's alive. I'm going to tell you, you want God to stir in your heart again? Just be reminded that He did die. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was mocked. He was crucified. He literally died. But thank God He's not dead. He is alive. So in this text, we see the persuasion that settled Him. But then not only notice the persuasion that settled Him, but look on the verse. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. Watch these next five or six words. I will go and see him. There's a persuasion that settled him, but there is the pursuit of the Son. Watch this. A true view of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ will want to cause you to get closer to him. Who wouldn't want to get closer to somebody like that? There's three things in this little phrase. He makes a decision. I will. Now watch this. Them boys could have picked their daddy up and put him on them wagons, and it wouldn't have went well. Jacob had to make a personal decision that I'm going to believe by faith that Joseph sent these wagons to get me. I'm going to believe by faith that he is alive. And by faith, I'm going to make the personal decision to get on them wagons and go to where Joseph is at. I want to remind you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, that nobody can get saved for you. Your daddy can't get saved for you. Your mama can't get saved for you. Everybody must make a personal decision to come to Jesus Christ. It was a personal decision. It was a practical decision. They're living in a famine. Jacob don't have anything. He sent his boys to Egypt to buy corn, so they're running low on supply. It just makes sense to go to where Joseph is at. Hey, it don't make sense to live in this world without somebody that will meet your need and carry your burdens and answer your prayer. It just makes sense to get saved. 
Besides not going to hell when you die, it just makes sense to live for God. It just makes sense to go to church. It just makes sense to read the Bible and live for the Lord. No, we're not perfect people, but we sure do have a perfect Lord this morning. It was a personal personal decision. It was a, a passionate decision, and it was the perfect decision. The decision, I will. The departure, go. A lot of people say, yeah, I'm going to get saved one day. I'm going to get in church one day. But Jacob wasn't one day in in this verse. I will go. That that go speaks of the departure. If you're going to go, you know what that means? You have to leave something behind. A lot of people are trusting in church membership. A lot of people are trusting in water baptism. A lot of people are trusting in good works. But you better leave all that behind and just get to Jesus. There's the decision, I will. There's the departure, go. But there's the desire to see Him. Jacob wasn't interested in seeing the pyramids of Egypt. Jacob wasn't interested in meeting Pharaoh. Jacob wasn't interested in seeing the sights and the sounds and going on a trip. He had one reason and one reason only for going to Egypt, and that was to see Him. It was all about the Son. It was all about getting to Him. It was all about getting closer to the One that He loved. May I remind you this morning, salvation is more, is more, listen to me now, it's more than just not going to hell when you die. Now that's a great benefit. Can I get an amen out of that? Because if you don't get saved, you'll die and go to hell for all eternity. That's what the Bible teaches. And if you get saved, the Bible teaches to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's a wonderful benefit. But I'm going to tell you, there's more to life than heaven and hell. There's something about living a life that brings glory to God and honoring God. And you've got to leave some things behind. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter uh, number 9, verse 62. No man, having putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Many people will not get saved because they won't leave something behind. Is what you're holding on to today, sir, is what you're holding on to today, ma'am, is that worth your soul? The Bible said, what would a prophit if a man should gain the whole world and lose his soul? In other words, Jesus said, if you could gain everything in this world, all the, and we think in money, we think in property, we think in finances, if you could gain all the finances, all the money of this world, but lose your soul, what have you gained? You've really not gained anything. You've lost it all. The truth is you can't take it with you. We have to have money to live. We have to have money to operate. I understand that. But some people won't get saved because they're trusted in riches. Some people won't get saved because what will everybody think about me? I often say I would be more concerned with what God knows about me than what people think about me. Because you may know some things about me, but you don't know everything about me, and I don't know everything about you, but God has the goods on us all. We better be honest before the Lord. There is a persuasion that is settled. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. There is a pursuit of the son. I will go and see him. And then lastly in this verse, there is a priority that is stated. Watch these three words. Before I die. Jacob knew that death was inevitable in his life. He's buried a wife. At this point, he's buried both his wives because Leah has died as well. He's only buried his wives. He's buried his daddy, Isaac. He's already buried his mother. He knows that death is inevitable. And he said, thus, since he's alive, number one, there's no time to waste. I can't sit here and waste time. 
I better go see him before I die. There was no time to wonder. Well, is Joseph really alive? I mean, we, we all make decisions on the, on the cuff sometimes. But this is not, a, this is not a, a light decision Jacob is making. He's seen the evidence. He knows. But I'm going to tell you what the devil will do. The devil will say, is, that, is, is what that preacher said really true? Is what that Bible said really true? There was no time to wonder. The Bible said in Proverbs 27, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. The Bible said that our life is just a vapor. Some of you, uh, we see, uh, one of the things I love about Easter Sunday is seeing all these little ones in their outfits. But some of you that are older, you remember when you was dressing your little ones for Easter Sunday morning. And now you blink twice and now they've got, you got grandbabies. And they're dressing, and your kids are dressing your grandbabies for Easter. And it just goes just like that. And don't it seem like it was just yesterday? Time is going fast. Time's going by quicker. And they say, they, you know, when you're young, you think it takes seven years to get to Christmas. <laughs> Is Christmas ever going to get here? One fellow said, you, but you blink twice, you're in your 20s. You blink again, you're in your 30s. You blink again, you're in your 40s. You blink again, you're in your 50s. And after your 50s, you don't get to blink no more. <laughs> it's about right, is it not? Time's just going on. There's no time to waste. The Bible said, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. There's no time to wait. There's no time to wonder, but there's no time to wait. What are you waiting on? Why haven't you been saved? Now, when I say get saved, I understand that in our congregation this morning, there might be somebody that may not understand that terminology. Here's what we must understand this morning. We were all born sinners. The Bible said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what sin is? Sin is anything that's wrong. We understand telling a lie is a sin. We understand that having the wrong thoughts, saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things. Everybody this morning falls into the category of sinners. Can we agree with that? The Bible said, For all have sinned. For the wages of sin is death. We know what wages are. Wages is what we used to have before we had this president. Somebody help me. <laughs> Amen. Uh, but we know what wages are. They're what you get for a week of work. Wages. Well, what do you get for sin? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But Jesus, the Bible said, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible said in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Preacher, what does that mean? Jesus was born of a virgin. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. He lived 33 and a half years of a sinless life. He did no wrong. He could do no wrong. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was crucified. He died in your place so you wouldn't have to die and pay for your sins. Somebody said, boy, I'm a paying for my sins. No, you might be suffering the consequence of sins, but your sins were paid for at Calvary. But you realize if you do not accept the gift of salvation, if you don't come to Christ, you'll die and go to hell with your sin debt paid. It'd be like you making a payment on a vehicle and somebody going and paying your vehicle off but you keep making that payment every month, it would not make sense to do that, would it? Why? Because the debt has been paid. All you have to do is accept the gift of salvation. Salvation is not repeating a prayer. I'm not against people praying, helping somebody to pray. You understand that? 
But the Bible said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, God works from the inside out. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, indicating that what you testify with the mouth is a result of what God has done in your heart. How many of you ever heard somebody testify in church that said, Boy, I believe I got saved for I stepped out of the pew. You know why they believe that? Because they did. They had already turned to Christ, and they just come to the altar and confirm that. They testify to the church, I have decided to follow Jesus. Have you ever come to Christ? I promise you, the Bible said, He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. If you come to Christ, He will not turn you away. Preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been. You don't know who I am. No, you're right. And you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. But Jesus knows who I am. Jesus knows where I've been. Jesus knows what I've done. And yet He loves me anyway. And He offers that gift of salvation anyway. There's no time to waste. He's alive. Is that not enough? For if Jesus did not rise from the dead, the Bible said we'd be yet in our sins. We'd be of all men most miserable. But I'm glad He's alive this morning. Because Jesus is alive, hell has been defeated. Hell has been defeated. Death, hell, and the grave were defeated on resurrection day. Realize the devil only had the keys to hell. The Lord has them. Amen. He def- hell is defeated, but because He's alive, help has been delivered. Not only because I'm saved am I not going to hell, and I am going to heaven, but because I'm saved and because He is alive, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And because He's alive, heaven is my destination. He is alive this morning. I tell you, He's alive and that's enough. Well, preacher, what about this? He's alive and that's enough. Well, preacher, I don't know about that. He's alive and that's enough. Well, I really don't know what you're talking about. He's alive and that's enough. I'm going to tell you what salvation is. You have to come to God by faith. What is faith? It's what you're exercising this morning sitting on those pews. I watch you when you come in. You didn't test out the pews. You didn't make sure all the screws were properly anchored in the floor. You simply trusted that pew to do what it's designed to do. And that's hold you up. Now I'll tell you this morning, it's what salvation is. You come to God by faith. You come to Him and say, Lord, I don't understand it all. But that preacher said, you died for my sin. More importantly, not what the preacher said, that Bible said. That Bible said you died for my sin. And that Bible said you was buried. And that Bible said that you rose again. And I am putting my faith in the one who died, who was buried, and who rose again. He's alive. And that's enough this morning. We could preach another 30 minutes. It's enough for the struggles you have. He's alive because He lives. I can face tomorrow. He's enough for your salvation. He's enough for the situation. He's alive. But He's enough to cause you to shout too. Just because He's alive, we ought to rejoice in the fact this morning He's not dead, but He is alive. Do you know Him this morning? I didn't ask you if He's a member of a church. Brother Matthew's coming to the piano. I'm done preaching. I preached 30 minutes. Get my word. I didn't ask you if He's a member of a church this morning. I didn't ask you if you've been baptized. I didn't ask you if you're a good person I don't, I don't doubt there's good people in this building this morning. I know there are good people. But good people die and go to hell every day without God. Being good does not get you to heaven. It's only by grace through faith. 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we stand, I appreciate your attention. He's going to begin to play a verse of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart today, these altars are open. You're welcome to come pray. But I want to...